and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, here, news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. That theme music by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. So today we are continuing our series sci-fi, February with Edict Zero FIS, uh, second installment for you today. It is a story of crime and punishment and some dude with a creepy voice named Mr. Cook set several hundred years in the future on a slightly alternate but not quite uh, totally separate from Earth from our own. Yeah, something like that. Um, cool write-up about the story at edictzero.wordpress.com. So the story thus far. Uh, last week, there was an explosion at a nightclub. It sent shockwaves through both the criminal world and the world of law and order. In episode two, we find the investigation of that event ongoing. and uh, It leads to the formation of a special task force investigating some remote and interesting possibilities. The beginning of FIS, the exciting next chapter of the story. Uh, but before we get right into the feature, I am delighted to share with you the next audio review from our new submissions editor, Captain Radio. You will hear from Captain Radio if you submit your show to Radio Drum Revival on the website. Um, Captain Radio this week tunes in with coverage of a special remastered edition of Spirit Blade. Um, you may remember we featured Spirit Blade Dark Ritual uh, last year, last uh, January, I think. It's a Christian contemporary sci-fi drama uh, by our friend Peter, who's also released a bunch of really cool uh, videos uh, documenting his work in audio, doing some cool stuff in post-production. Uh, let's listen in and see what uh, Captain Radio has to say. Greetings, Audionauts. Captain Radio here with a review of Spirit Blade Special Edition. All right, grab a hold of Ram. I'm going to blow the door and then we jump. Jump? There's no landing pods or parachutes. How are we going to survive that? I don't know. One problem at a time. Besides, didn't you jump out of a skyscraper once? This is different. Guess we'll see, won't we? That jag blowing charges in three, two, one. And there you have a taste of the sonic excitement of Dark Ritual, the second installment of Peter Franson's Spirit Blade trilogy. This scintillating, edgy, sometimes PG-13 Christian-oriented sci-fi fantasy series follows the harrowing exploits of Merrick Vendarius, initially a disillusioned, self-doubting, one-hit musician who very reluctantly is transformed into Merrick Scythe, the leader of the underground liberation. These futuristic seekers of absolute truth find themselves outcast by a world dominated by deadly deceit, unbelievable technology, corporate power mongers, mysterious helpful aliens, and plenty of soul-ravening demons. Hopelessly outnumbered by enemies and constantly on the run, Merrick and his small band of seekers desperately attempt to recover the ultimate talisman to defeat evil, the Spirit Blade, Franson's cognate of Arthur's enchanted Excalibur. While creating Dark Ritual, Franson sensed his self-taught audio production skills had rapidly matured from the 2006 release of the original Spirit Blade installment. Audiences seemed to agree, reacting to the sequel as the stronger of the two productions. Thereafter, when Franson began work on Pilgrim's Progress, Similitude of a Dream, he realized that this third effort would not exceed Dark Ritual in production quality. As Franson puts it, his skills had leveled out to some degree. Franson then felt genuine concern that his production company's eponymous flagship effort might likely be perceived by new listeners as less polished than his subsequent work. Determined to revitalize his own first installment of the Spirit Blade trilogy, Franson returned to his production studio in Mesa, Arizona, where he updated the musical score, remixed soundtrack songs, and added both new dialogue and sound effects. Listen to a few before and after remix samples. Throw this capsule out What? There. It's nanite gas. Just do it. 
It's nanite gas. Just do it. While Captain has not heard the original Spirit Blade in its entirety, after listening to both the new remix, then moving immediately into scenes from Dark Ritual, he can affirm for you, Audionauts, that Franson invested his redo time well. Both new and original fans should definitely check out Spirit Blade Special Edition, the smart new first installment of the Spirit Blade trilogy at spiritblade.net. Until next time, Audionauts. Stay sharp. This is Captain Radio, signing off. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Radio, for that terrific review. And um, I, for one, encourage you to support Peter's work. Um, Really uh, inspired um, audio artist um, continues to refine his craft and push the boundaries. Superb work. Um, Really shows uh, that Christian sci-fi drama can be uh, driven by a story, too, and not just theology. Good stuff. Um, and I should mention, while we're including some of these reviews in the podcast each week, um, also, if you want to reference them later, they are being published at RadioNumberRevival.com. They go up on Wednesday, so uh, to be able to look it up, uh, check out the links to producers and um, enjoy them later. All right, so moving right along, let's get to the feature, part two of Edict Zero. are listening to Edict Zero, FIS, the science fiction audio drama series, starring James Keller, Julie Holverson, Phil Rossi, Russell Gold, Tanya Milojevic, and creator Jack Kincaid. Residence of Jules Kircher, 603C, Tilda Circle, Gershon, Capital City, Time, 8.17pm. p.m. tonight, we learned that Edict One has dispatched a special representative to address the public about this tragedy. As we all Jasper, don't do that. You scared me to death. I beg your pardon, Jules, but you have an incoming call on House Line 2. Shall I hold the call? Hold the call. Greetings. 
You have reached the home manager system of the party you are trying to contact. She will be available shortly. Please remain on the line. Hello, Jasper. Did I catch Jules at a bad time? Please remain on the line, sir. Jasper, you act like we don't know each other. It's me, Marcus. Don't you remember? I am a machine. I remember all things, but I do not remember you. Therefore, you are either mistaken or astonishingly forgettable. Choose according to your preference. Have I just been insulted? There is an 82% probability that you have just been owned. Set the music volume to 5. Mute television. The caller is Marcus Briggs. Are you sure that you wish to converse with him? Yes, I contacted him. Don't worry. Don't worry. Hello, Agent Briggs. Agent Kircher. Your home manager is charming as always. That AI has come a long way, hasn't it? I get the feeling that Jasper doesn't like me much. How strange. If that's the case, it must be a malfunction. He's usually such a good judge of character. I assume you got my email and that's why you're calling. It is. I tried to page you and tried your cell before I called you at home. I know this isn't a secure line, so you can find the case reference numbers and other sensitive data in my email reply. You found something? You were right about the girl in the car. The moment I saw the stills you sent me, I knew I'd seen her somewhere before. I looked through the case files database like you did, hoping something would click in my head. But I came up with nothing there. This case number in your mail? I think it's one of the cases I'm missing. I'm not just missing them in hard copy, but from the FIS database and from my work laptop. Same here. And the citizen ID number you gave me for the girl comes up as never assigned to anyone. I checked and double-checked. It's pretty spooky. Then how did you find them? My old field notes. My handwritten field notes. Remember how much I hated the electronic notepads? I still do, really. You're also still a pack rat, from the sound of it. Only with the important things. Anyway, listen, that CID number showed up in notes about the Parker kidnapping. Do you remember the Parker case from 09? Six years ago? That was one of our first cases, unsolved. She was abducted from the playground. You're thinking of another. We found her. We didn't find this girl. Her name was Melissa Parker. It was a home invasion, murder abduction. Her parents were killed execution style. The case is still unsolved and cold. Until now. Oh my god. I remember now. Do you also remember the total lack of evidence? No prints, no trace evidence, no sign of forced entry. Nothing on the street cameras, no log on the security system. No memory of any event in the Parker family HMS. Yes, it had to be a pro job. The capability of the McCrins fits the bill, and now we can place her in the car with the Dunham McCrins six years later. That's objective evidence. Enough to reopen the case. Congratulations, Jules. That was a great catch. Except the case doesn't exist on file, and apparently neither does she. If that's her. The problem is she looks about the same age as when she was taken. I've been searching the North Island police record for South any... Island. This was South Island. You were probably thinking North Island because of the McCrin connection. 
Look, I don't know what's going on with the computers or her CID number, but this was a case and did exist. The girl exists. I'll back you up 100% on that. We worked that case. Could this case have become government classified since then? Would that explain the missing data? I have no idea. I need to run. I've spent a lot of hours on this and ignoring my orders from Wakeman, who has me working a few angles on the bombing. That's my case, unfortunately. Along with half of the FIS. Good luck with yours. It's the same case. Did you see the whole surveillance file of the McCrin-Tanel meeting? The part that Agent Wakeman didn't show at the briefing? Uh, there was nothing more to see. They went inside the building where the cameras couldn't follow him. That's when they arrived. I'm talking about when they departed. The girl was taken out of the car. She came with McCrin, but she left with Tonell. Look for yourself. How did I not catch that? How did the entire task force miss it? The only reasonable answer to that is that they didn't miss it and Agent Wakeman marginalized it. He terminated thought on it so everyone would stick to the program. Jules. Think about it. You know the FIS has to be under duress from the government to produce answers as quickly as they can. And this, this implies a situation much more complicated and demanding of time and resources than the FIS wants. It could be that. It could be that it doesn't fit in with Agent Wakeman's agenda. It could be any number. You say you're right, and I'm not saying you are. Gee, thanks. What would be the use of bringing this to Wakeman? Do you have any direct evidence that links the girl to the bombing? To the explosion? No. Then I'll cast it away. I'll bury it. That's why I want to bring it to A.D. Dockstater. The new Westmont office is being decommissioned next month, and I'll be reporting to him then. Right now, I have no line to him without jumping through hoops. I just don't have the access. You do. <laughs> Let me get this straight. You want me to go over my boss's head? Do you know what you're asking me to do? Yes. The right thing. Uh, sometimes doing the right thing reflects on us in the wrong light. There are lines to abide by for a reason. Not crossing those lines is what makes us who we are. No, it's the reasons we cross them that makes us who we are. <sighs> Alright, okay. Okay, send me everything you've got. I'll put it together the best I can for Doc Stater overnight, and I'll have it first thing tomorrow with a priority tag. You don't owe me anything. Now, you're right. This could be important to the case, and it shouldn't be ignored. Keep your cell phone nearby and an eye on your mail. I'll keep you posted. Thank you, Agent Briggs. Listen, uh, I know I probably shouldn't bring up the past, but I want you to know... Uh, I have another call. Um, I'll talk to you later. That I'm sorry. The Octagon Tavern... Federation Drive, Capital City, time 9.21 p.m. Sir, could you back up through the sensor, please? The ID didn't take. I'm sorry, what? If you're unaware, this is an establishment that only serves government workers. The sensor's there oh. to... Right, I'm sorry. Through the sensor. ID flat detected. Data sorry about that, Agent Garrett. Go ahead. The computers have been a little wonky lately. No problem. 
So have I. I gotta sign off and get back to home base before I split in the atoms with the wife. Good to see you. Yep, likewise. Have a good one. Greetings, patron on stool 13. Can I interest you in another bottle of Tuvor 49 dark beer? Sure thing, Tin Can Man. In case you were unaware, this will be your sixth beverage this evening. If you are driving a vehicle, please leave your keys with a controller at the front counter. I'm not driving, Mom, but thanks for caring. I am programmed to regulate behavior which may adversely affect this establishment's insurance premiums. Your personal safety, once you vacate these premises, is otherwise immaterial. Well, that's one good thing you freaks have going for you. At least you're honest. Humans are expected to lie or they'll suffer social consequences. Machines are expected to tell the truth or they're considered dysfunctional. They have it better. Agent Garrett, what a surprise. What, are you stalking me now? I just came for a drink. Greetings, patron on stool 14. Welcome to the Octagon Tavern. How may I serve you tonight? Westman, dry gin. Six fluid ounces, on the rocks. Thank you for your order. Huh. The gin solution, huh? When all else fails. I didn't expect to see you here tonight. Why not? It's a Friday night. Where else would I Actually, be? Actually, it's Thursday. As for you, I'd have expected you to be at home watching Gabo West movies. Either that or being a pain in somebody's ass at HQ. I'll work some Gabo in later tonight. I'll have a drink and hang out with some hobos for a while. Hobos, huh? <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I'm working a few angles on the case. I figured you'd still be on duty doing double time with the bombings. Uh, I had about two hours of sleep. An OTR, I spent the day in East Island commanding raids at the behest of the OC division. We kicked up a lot of dust. It might as well have been an exercise. Either way, I'm spent. <laughs> well, I'll get you trained. You don't look so good in the sleep department either. But my eyes are even half as bloodshot as yours. I'd go home now. I'm fine. I took a nap Wednesday. You realize that was two days ago, right? I'll cut you up. Does this mean we're talking again? No. It means I'm drinking. Right. It's been... It's been a long day. But then every day is... <sighs> I've had Diane and Audrey on my mind a lot lately. Messes with me. But, of course, you don't want to talk about that. Nothing to talk about. Nothing to talk about. <laughs> okay, let's forget for a moment that this was my sister and niece. This was your wife and daughter. What the hell is wrong with you? Well, that depends on who you ask. Everybody seems to have an opinion. That's okay. Everybody's entitled you to didn't one. Didn't even cry at the funeral. What does that say about you, huh? Tell me, Nick. If you were studying your own behavior like you would for some suspect in a case, would you find it interesting? Just what would it suggest to you? I don't know. But what I do find interesting is why it matters to you. How I it do. It matters when you act like it doesn't matter at all. Major Garrett. Hello there. This is Detective Jack Davis from the Center City Police Department. I'm looking for a Mr. Nick Garrett. Hello? I'm sorry, I can barely hear you. Hold on for a second. That's better. I apologize for that. No problem. I'm calling from the Center City Police Department. My name is Detective Jack Davis. I was given this number by the FIS switchboard to contact an agent, Garrett. Hey, you found him. 
What can I do for you, Detective? We caught your FIS bulletin issuing an ACL for a homeless person with a street name as Socrates. Yes, I did. He's wanted for questioning. Did you locate him? Yes. Well, no. Not exactly. The situation we have here is, uh, frankly, a little puzzling. Your guy was spotted leaving the scene of a crime near the Gilroy homeless shelter. What kind of crime? Well, the scene of something, anyway. You see, a call came into our dispatch from a good Samaritan who reported an officer down. In an alley. When we got there, we found somebody down, but he's not one of ours. He was dressed like an officer, and he drove a police cruiser, which we impounded and were trying to trace. What about the man? No ID implant, no fingerprints on record. He's a John Doe. We have him in custody, but ever since he came to, he's refused to speak. Why was he unconscious? Phaser hits? We know a phaser pistol was fired in the alley, but that's not why he was out. Somebody, and we think maybe your guy, bludgeoned the suspect's head with a blunt instrument. I don't know if any of what I'm saying means anything to you or if it may have some bearing on what you need to question the homeless man about. I'm hoping it does, because until our guy talks, we have no context for what went down. I'd like to try to question him. How long can you hold him? We got him dead bang and impersonating a law enforcement officer operating an unregistered vehicle and we're coming up with new ones by the hour. He's in a holding cell at the precinct for tonight. He's not going anywhere. I'll come tonight. Which precinct? Center City Police. 27th Precinct. Holding area. Time, 9.49 p.m. Our wife here to the Five Islands on Edict Zero, creating a microcosm of the old world, the original planet Earth, that uh, Comet GQ-7 had taken away. This microcosm hadn't been the intent of the scientists whose generations had commanded the ships, and these, of course, were the progenitors of Edict One, the uh, separate technocratic entity in society which administrates our sciences and oversees our government, but with a policy of minimal interference. This is why direct public statements from Edict One are few and far between. We don't know exactly what to expect here. We do Literally craziness, as in the wagon cooking through the hill. What? Harlan Hill, you, you know, the nuthouse? Long story, he's a conspiracy punk who thinks there are other continents that Edict One doesn't tell us about. The Navy intercepted him in restricted waters off the shores of North Island. He was trying to gun it into the Big Blue. Can you believe that? He's lucky they didn't blow him out of the water. I see you gotta be crazy to take to the ocean anyway with all that weird sea life out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotta go. I see somebody coming on one of my monitors here. Look, sorry, I can't make it. Say hi to everyone for me. See ya. Hello again, Duff. Evening. I thought you were gone for the day. So did I. Turns out that the feds are looking for our suspect from the case with John Doe. Yeah, our little false cop potato head. There's a fed coming over from Capital City to question him. I expected the suit to be here by now. Not that I think he'll get a word out of this scumbag. Pretending to be a cop. That just burns me up. No one has come in yet. Except Jane from evidence to collect the prisoner's belongings. Already shipped out to E1. She's quick. Yeah, in Edict 1, not so much. Who knows what the turnaround time will be. I'm sure this will rate low priority while they got hundreds of pieces of evidence from the bombing to process. Sometimes I don't understand why protocol precludes us from having our own crime labs. Did you see this on TV? E1 has a rep addressed in the public. Rare. Do you know the last time that happened was nine years ago? The bombing has the world shook up. Just goes to show how much. She came out after the president. After. That figures. There's no doubt who's really in charge of things when the president is the opening act. 
So how is our guy anyway? Has he said anything? Asked for legal counsel. He's done nothing but you see in the monitor there. Pacing around, back and forth. He could be cracking. It almost seems like he's been waiting for something. Maybe he's ready to talk. I'm heading in. My weapons. You're clear for entry. So how's our little guest this evening? Do you like the accommodations? Why, you must be getting hungry by now, no? All you have to do is ask and we'll bring you something. Those cuffs, they look a little tight. Uncomfortable, I bet. You know you're not fooling anyone with the silence. You're not a mute. You do no service to yourself with the act. You're becoming popular, you know? The feds want to talk to you. One of them is coming down to see you. Will you look at that? So that bothers you, does it? I had to tell you that it bothers the guys here what you did. Playing dress-up like a cop. Impersonating an officer. That's made you real popular with them. Who'd like nothing better than to see you rot. If you don't cooperate, that's what'll happen. Nothing. You'll rot. You're going nowhere. Your visitor has arrived. That's your visitor, Bob. I can tell by the look on your face that this disturbs you. Maybe you're real popular with the feds too, huh? Maybe they even got a name to go with your face. Yeah, we'll find out, won't we? Idiot. Well, it's about time. I'm glad that you did. You can shed some light on this guy. It's no trouble at all, Detective. As I said, this may have a bearing on a case I'm working on. Then maybe it'll work out for the both of us, but this guy hasn't exactly been a conversationalist. Isn't that right, mister? What the hell? Where'd he go? Where the hell did he go? Hmm. Where the hell did he go? There's nowhere to go in here. The only way out of here is the way he came. We have a breach! We have a breach! Hmm. Odd smell. It smells like... Garrett, I don't know how this could have happened. He was right here just moments ago. You smell that odor? Odor? It's ozone, isn't it? Ozone. How did he get out of here? No windows. The crate up there still bolted. Couldn't have gotten out. I know he was here. I know he was. Detective, did you have the prisoner in handcuffs? Yeah, why? Well, the cuffs. They're right here. Still locked. Well, we got a regular magician here. Damn it! Dub, how the hell can you miss a guy's A regular magician. Interesting. FIS Headquarters. Office of Assistant Director Doc Stager. January 2nd, 2415. Time, 626 AM. Good morning, Special Agents Kircher and Briggs. Briggs? Special Agent Briggs is- He's right behind you. Oh. He's sneaky like that. I could think of a few other adjectives for him. I'm Ursa, secretary to Assistant Director Alan Doxley. That's some gratitude you've got there. 
uh, stayed up most of the night compiling a report and managed to get us in with Dockstadter immediately, which wasn't easy. You want a prize for that? No. Less attitude would be nice, though. Special Agents Kircher and Briggs, how may I help you today? We're scheduled to meet with the assistant director at 6.30. My apologies. I see the notation in a recent directive which failed to update my calendar. The assistant director is taking an appointment right now, but I will notify him of your presence. Please be seated. Mr. Cook was there. You can see from this zoomed view taken by the camera on Main and 16th Street that people outside the nightclub were reacting to a presence, including the doorman. Look, their eyes have the same focal points. Agent They're... Garrett, I would love for you to explain how it is that a man can be seen by human eyes but not by cameras. I doubt you can do that, though, am you I could right? could be employing some technology that we're unaware of. Given the way the blast warped matter and emitted an EMP, we certainly know that the bomb was something we've never seen, except at a we site don't know in such thing. The photos you took of the damage were not compelling enough to sway Edith One. By their analysis, the blast was caused by conventional explosives and the rest by a resulting power surge. Then Edict One is wrong. <laughs> well, you don't disappoint, do you? And here I thought your reputation was an embellishment. Edict One is wrong. <laughs> I am trying to imagine the level of arrogance required to make a statement like that. Pause for a moment, Agent. Yes, sir, sir. Special Agents Julie Kircher and Marcus Briggs are here for a 6.30 appointment. Have them hold. I'll buzz the door when I'm ready for them. Understood. All right, let me see if I have all this straight. You believe that the suspect landed a meeting with Tonell on New Year's under the pretext that he would set him an object. An imaginary object, but one that Tonell believed existed. He also brought a bomb in a briefcase instead. A mysterious kind of bomb which he had test detonated two months ago in South Island as a preparation for this event. That's correct. I'm trying to develop a profile on him and I have some leads which I'm pursuing to that end. One of those leads disappeared last night inexplicably from a CCPD holding room. Disappeared? That's right. Great, more strangeness. Speaking of which, understand that it's in our best interest that I not address your belief that the unsub can be invisible to cameras and that you've given credence to the hearsay that the man can see without eyes. I haven't given it credence. I just acknowledge the existence of the account without dismissing it out of well, hand. Well, you spin it however you want, it's the same thing. The problem is, most of your evidence is circumstantial, and there's not enough of it to survive a review by the board, which is under an appreciable strain right now. They will close a circuit on this, and that'll be all she wrote. This could be a mistake that we just can't afford. Sir? I don't just say that because it'll reflect poorly on you, and more importantly, on yours truly. I say it because I think you may be onto something. And it would behoove us at a dangerous time like this to find out what it is, so nothing is missed. Thank you. Hmm. I'm glad to hear that. It's just that you gave me the impression... What, Agent Garrett? That I would waste my valuable time during a crisis humoring arguments which I believed had no merit? I would have to be an incompetent, either that or a masochist. Do you take me for either of those things? No, sir. The bombing was overkill. And that's not the style of the East Trodon, who didn't get to where they are by taking stupid, reckless actions. They would know committing such an atrocity would be sure to get their asses fried by all the heat this world could drop on them. I found your reasoning on that to be sound. The alternative doesn't have the potential to make any sense. Potential is what you have, Agent Garrett, with what you've brought to my attention. But it's too ambiguous. You still got a lot of work to do before this can command resources as the frontline priority that you seem to want this to be. Okay, what does this mean? 
We are under pressure to produce a report to the Attorney General, who in a matter of a couple hours must give a statement to the public. A scared public that demands answers and wants their fears allayed by the assurance that we're on the job. In other words, blame must be assigned regardless of the truth. You imply that there is a known truth which there isn't, and you also imply deceit about how we'll be conducting this investigation, when there won't be, as our focus will remain unchanged. However, the possibility that somewhere outside the scope of our efforts that there may be some wild card unsub out there in the population with bombs and unknown intent. Well, that's not a risk I can ignore when there may be lives at stake. We must err on the side of caution. With all due respect, you sound like you're trying to justify With all due respect is not a phrase which excuses the disrespect which follows it, Agent Garrett. And what I'm doing is making my position clear. I'm hoping to God that my instincts are right about you. Time will tell. For now, you have exposed some new avenues which warrant further investigation. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. You and a few other agents. Other agents? Ursa, you can send them in now. Yes, Assistant Director. Hello, agents. This gentleman here is Special Agent Nick Garrett. Good morning, Agent Garrett. Morning. I remember you, Agent Garrett, from the briefing yesterday. And are you, Agent Kircher? Agent Garrett, this is Special Agent Marcus Briggs. And as you seem to already know, Special Agent Julie Kircher. I prefer Agent Kircher. Just Agent Kircher, if you don't mind. Nice to meet you. Agent Briggs, I reviewed your report this morning. Impressive. Oh, thanks, sir, but it was Agent The Kircher. Center City bombing is a high-profile incident which demands a thorough investigation from all possible angles. Which is why I'm authorizing you to pursue the leads that you have presented. You mean me? Well, I beg your pardon, sir, but Special I... Agent Kircher, I understand that you were slated to transfer to HQ here in three weeks from the new Westmont office. That transfer is now effective immediately, but your orders have changed. You are no longer assigned to the Major Offender Squad. I'm authorizing a new unit of the task force which reports not to Agent Wakeman, but directly to me. You are reassigned to this unit along with Agent Briggs and Agent Carrot. Sir, Honestly, I, I'm with not all due sure respect, Assistant Director, while I thank you for this opportunity, could we first have a few words in private, sir? Frankly, Agent Briggs, no, we cannot. Please. I do not have the time today. And I hope that I make myself perfectly clear. These are not suggestions. These are orders. I'm aware that Agent Garrett prefers to work alone and has a history of not working well with others, to put it mildly. I know that Agent Briggs would prefer to remain in his long-sought position as Deputy ASAIC under Agent Wakeman. I also know that Agent Kircher and Agent Briggs have worked together in the past, and that since then, there has been a mutual request on file not to work together again. That request is noted, but denied. Allocate your personal issues to your personal time. So what you're saying, Assistant Director, is that you don't care that you are knowingly creating a troubled dynamic which would cause <laughs> this unit to fail. If I believed that, I would not take this course. And I hope that you have noted that your efforts to phase me have failed. As effective as your blunt demeanor may have been in the past to manipulate your supervisors, it holds little power over me. You would be correct that I see the potential for conflict. I'm counting on it. It promotes ingenuity. As for your personal feelings right now, think that this is my facilitating a growth period for all three of you. In time, you may all thank me. You may not, but I believe that you'll produce results. I'm counting on that too. I will see what I can do about requisitioning an office for your unit ASAP. Meanwhile, I suggest that you confer with one another and get to work. There's no time to lose. We'll be in touch. That will be all. You are dismissed. Assistant Director. I said that you're dismissed, Agent Kircher. Thank you for visiting our office. Have a nice day. Hmm. Well... Agent Kircher, listen. Save I... it. 
That was an interesting look she gave you. Yeah, I know that look well. Did you deserve it? Probably. I bet she's headed straight to HR. How much? Hmm? How much what? How much would you bet? Body language communicated resignation to me. Yeah, and animosity. As you said, you probably deserved it. You shouldn't have slept with her to begin with. <laughs> did her body language communicate that too? No, Agent Briggs. Yours did. Not that it's any of your business, but she and I... It was a long time ago. Not long enough, apparently. This should be fun. FIS Headquarters. The Mueller Building. Conference Room 3. Time, 9.09 a.m. There's no doubt it was a professional job, but the Parkers had no criminal ties. No risky lifestyle choices. They were a perfect portrait of a small-town, middle-class family. The mother was a teacher at Hennersville Elementary School. The father, a driver for a local waste management company. What kind of waste? Commercial cleanup? Residential curbside service. He drove a garbage truck. Well, there has to be something. They must have had secrets. That's what we thought, too. If they just wanted the girl, they had plenty of opportunities to take her without killing the parents. It was unnecessary. Right. Unless it was just as much about them coffee to go around. Thanks. Now, did you do that out of the kindness of your heart, or did you do it because it gave you an excuse to step outside for a smoke? Doesn't matter. It was a rhetorical question. You know, long ago, before they cured cancer, smoking was considered- Bless their hearts for curing cancer, so I can smoke without worry. I doubt that was their point, Agent Briggs. Nicotine is a beautiful molecule, but all the delivery devices worth using are filthy. Just awful. I'd hate to see your So, arms. do we have consensus yet on whether Melissa Parker is relevant to the bombing? If you mean the girl who was transferred by the McCrins to Jacob Tunnell, we don't. Transferred? It doesn't fit into what I know, but the timing is interesting. You don't think it's her? I'm not going to pin much on coincidences, but they do have. Back up. You don't think the girl is Melissa Parker? I don't 100% know. All you have connecting the two girls is a resemblance picked up by an inherently flawed FRS on low-resolution images. I might add that the features of a human face are not as diverse as She other is Melissa Parker. Was, I think you mean. If you're right, that is. Now you're beginning to sound like Agent Briggs. I know I'm right. Okay, Agent Critcher. Unless evidence turns up that says otherwise, we'll presume that she's Melissa. Now, knowing that she was in the Vortex nightclub when the blast happened... What? We do? Seen from a camera on West 18th Street, one of the Tunnel's cars drove into the back lot on New Year's Eve. By the timestamp at 11.19, two of Tonell's cronies took her into the building. Why didn't you mention this before? You were so thorough with other details, I thought you already knew. <clears throat> As you'll see here, from that time up to the time of the blast, the car waited with a driver, but they didn't come back out. She was in the building with the Tonell's top people who were on the second floor. Then she perished with them. It would appear so. The question is why she was there, and at that particular time... One of many questions. It's obvious that she was a prisoner. What makes this most interesting, however, is that she was clearly a prisoner of value to both parties. Is there any other kind of prisoner? You don't go through the trouble of holding someone captive for no reason. For no gain. And not for six years, which the McCrins must have. If the McCrins are the ones who abducted her... For all we know, that isn't the first time she's changed hands. I wonder if we should approach them on this and show them what we have. 
All the Kitanel people who can say for sure would have known something about this are dead. No in the corner. You won't get anything out of the McCrens. I know. Except a reaction, which is better than nothing. It could be telling. I'm on that angle. I'm corresponding with an agent I know from OC at the North Island HQ. He deals extensively. We shouldn't tip our hand until we know what's in it. What made Melissa so special? If we find the answer to that, it should lead us to better questions to ask, which will get us closer to the truth. Take away financial gain or vengeance, and what does that leave? Why keep a prisoner? Maybe she was useful. That could be what makes Marcus, her valuable. She was nine years old when she was taken. She's 15 now. What possible use could she be? Leverage. For what? The better question is probably on who, but I don't know. Or could it have been a preventative measure? We aren't getting anywhere with this. We need to hit the field. I agree. I have a lead that my suspect, Mr. Cook, spent time among the homeless. I'm going to pursue that. Your suspect? Okay, our suspect. I have an ATL out on a homeless man who was seen with Cook. He goes by the name of Socrates. We did read your report. Right. What I didn't include in my report is that he was involved in some altercation by the Gilroy homeless shelter with a man impersonating a cop, but the man disappeared from a holding room before I could question him. In the time it took for the detective to leave the room and bring me in, he was gone. Less than a minute. How did he escape? The way they're built, there's no way to escape from them, is there? Clearly there is. I don't know if that fits in or how. For now, I need to find this Socrates, as he may be the only line on gaining some insight to Cook and maybe even finding him. I was going to ask about that. You think Cook may still be at large? It's possible. I doubt that he could bring a bomb to a meeting with Tunnell and manage to both detonate it and make it out in one piece in that short of a time. What if it was a suicide mission? He's invisible to cameras. So there's no way of discerning from the video evidence whether he got out or not. You say he's invisible to cameras, as if that's the most common thing in the world. The evidence said it first. It doesn't lie. But cameras do. I'm going to hit the streets and hope for better luck than I had last night with the Center City homeless. How did you approach them? With my feet. Okay, I'm not patronizing you. I know you're a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy, and you've worked with a lot of departments. But how much experience do you have in dealing with the homeless on their ground? In their element? Not much. Have you done a lot of undercover work? Not really. Are you suggesting that I'm incompetent at the task? I'm suggesting that you let me take this, if you don't mind. This is more my area. I want to question some of Tanel's employees who did survive and see if I can find the driver of the car that brought Melissa to the club. I also want to follow up on the incident you just mentioned, uh, where a suspect vanished from a holding room. Center City, 27th Precinct. I'll give you a copy of the report. All right, so we know what we're doing then. Not quite. What are you going to do? Get educated. South Island State University, Clements Hall, Sterling, South Island, time, to 35 p.m. think nothing of it. It's not often that we get a social visit from the FIS. Why, this is the most excitement we've had on these grounds since our college mascot humped the dean of business on homecoming night. I'll help you out any way I can, but you must understand my curiosity about why you'd like to talk to Professor Ludlow. I do hope that there's no trouble. No trouble at all. I would like to consult him on a few things which, which fall under his expertise. 
so I can better wrap my mind around it. Ah, then I'm confident there should be no trouble for either of you. Professor Ludlow will pounce at the chance to corrupt a willing mind. He'd be delighted to assist you. Thanks. That'll be great. Presently, he's teaching a class, which should end in 20 minutes or so if you'd Actually, like to. Actually, would it be alright if I joined his class? I won't make a peek. How unexpected. I think that would be fine, but I think we'd better warn him so it's not too excited. I don't think that will be necessary. His relevance to the point of overcompensation, because he is ill-suited to emotionally handle the alternative. Yes, leave this ape to his own delusions, and the majority will decree that they stand at the center of the universe, around which all other things revolve. That is our heritage. Oh, Dean Pelton. How nice to see you. To what do we owe the honor of your presence today? You have a visitor who would like to sit in with your class. He's promised not to make a sound. Oh, how wonderful. He's welcome. Do come in. Will that be all? That's it, Professor. Forgive us for the interruption. Oh, dear. You poor, poor man. Where was I? Oh, yes. Cognizant of his own insignificance and the trivial and fleeting nature of his existence, man is a control freak. Yes, show me troubled times which promote feelings of insecurity and helplessness, and I will show you people turning to magical thinking to abate it. I will show you narcissists, who, compelled by their own emotional shortcomings, look to higher powers for comfort, embracing the abstract and superstitious to provide them with what they cannot find in the tangible world. Where evidence of their own high standing and immortality cannot be found, it must be fabricated. Where facts stand in the way, they can be circumvented through such common strokes of all-inclusive logic with which nearly any assertion could be validated, such as lack of evidence to the contrary, where the boundaries of his influence over all things cannot be argued, he will concoct a myth of greater forces to which he is connected and by which he is empowered. We are inherently dissatisfied. We are greedy. We are smug. And we are superstitious. For example, it's bad luck to leave your ringer on in my class. You run the risk of receiving the dreaded Ludlowian stink eye. Now who shall receive the damning? Uh, it, it was me, Professor. I apologize. I'll shut it off. <laughs> but because you're new to the class, we shall spare you of being drawn and quartered. A lash or two should suffice. Now in chapter four. Cranston writes, darkness is ungiving, reluctant to share its secrets, dependent upon the light, distract the eye, and cheat the senses. Wardley Street, Center City, time, 2.40 p.m. Agent Garrett, it's Kircher. I don't know where you are or what you're doing, but call me back when you get this message. I have new leads from the shelter. Touch base soon. Please fasten your Yeah, system. yeah, yeah, I know. You have five new messages. Would you like to receive them now? No. Messages are as follows. I said no. Message one from system. 
Be advised that the engine is 21 days past its recommended checkup date, and the warranty has expired on Velux transducer. Save and all C. messages. Message two from BTEX Insurance. Please log in at your earliest convenience Great. for notices on changes to your premiums. Great. Message three from System. You have less than 30 miles to recharge on board ultra capacitors. Mute computer. Mute computer. Mute. With an HCES port. Message four from System. Diagnostics has located a problem with the voice recognition interface. Gosh, do you think? Please upgrade software and visit a licensed OAC technician. I hate this car. Message 5 from System. There are two new updates downloaded. Would you like to install those now? That depends. Will it make you less annoying? I don't understand that answer. Could you please repeat? No. Thank you. Installing updates now. No! Kircher. Stop sounding so happy to hear from me or it may give me the wrong idea. It's not you. Have you heard from Agent Garrett? I've texted him three times and left two messages. I got nothing. He hasn't answered for me either. He said this morning that he was looking into a lead on South Island. I get the feeling that he's lost touch with that old team spirit. I'm not so sure that he ever had it. But I am sure that he resents that we were assigned to babysit him. You don't think that Doc stayed I sense that he expects us to keep him in line, yes. You know Garrett's reputation. You think it's just about that? And you think that Doc Stater would assign two other agents with an attitude problem to monitor Garrett? I don't have an attitude problem. <laughs> Look, I don't think Doc Stater lied when he said he was impressed with what we brought him. It went through his filter way too easily when there was plenty there to scrutinize. For example, the fact that Melissa Parker doesn't even exist on record. He let that pass without comment. But we had my field notes, reports from the police. It was too easy. Have you had any luck finding a line on our suspect, Socrates? Some. About everyone I've talked to on the streets has seen him, or knows of him. The few clues I've gotten about where he might be squatting turned up empty, but the day is young. A big thing that we've got going for us is that he's memorable and he stands out. From what I hear, it's safe to say that he ended up here because of mental illness. He may have also found a kindred spirit, a sidekick called Jenkins, who's about as bonkers as he is. His name is Donald Jenkins. He's schizophrenic among his other attractive traits. Five months ago, he escaped from Harlan Hill Sanitarium with four other patients. A very well-organized escape, I should add. I'm looking into it. I'm in fact headed there now. How'd you make the connection? I talked to the people who run the shelter, which we ought to monitor. Donald Jenkins and Socrates show up there at least once every few weeks. Or I should say, Captain Socrates does. What's that about? I've heard that too. Could he be ex-military? Apparently he has the delusion that he's present military. Some kind of secret agent on a mission, and Jenkins is his underling. That might be useful. I wonder if Mr. Cook... Please be advised that you are traveling Oh, just shut up already. Okay, shutting up. Not you. Who else is with you? No one, never mind. All right. What else do you know about the escape from the nut farm? The other patients? The administrators have been investigating it as an inside job because it was too organized. But that's from their official statement. I don't have access to records yet because I've hit the confidentiality barrier. Upload a warrant request and have Doc Stater authorized. <gasps> already done. Thank you, Captain Obvious. You're welcome, Lady Sarcasm, anytime. I'm a helper. I'm gonna hang up and get back to it for some hours. I don't check my phone when I'm out in the field like this, I remember. So. Right. 
Is there anything else you uncovered about Socrates or Jenkins that you think could be useful to me? That you don't already know? I don't think so. Except that um, Socrates carries around a frying pan. Center City Underground. Time, 3.12 p.m. me with the phaser. I am I am. Oh, good God, do it again. <laughs> good afternoon, Captain. <laughs> I'm numb from the tozer, and my brain is a throng of squirming worms. Good afternoon indeed, Mr. Cook. <laughs> you don't want the pan back, do you? No, Captain. You can keep the pan. Oh, the joys it has brought me. If only I were a cook. Yes, Captain Cook. Oh, if only. Edict 1, Edict 2, and 3. They each have someone looking for you. They will be coming. Caution, Lupicit. Um, bad bananas. South Island State University, the Horton Center. Time, 3.23 p.m. Since the beginning of recorded history, mankind has eagerly anticipated the arrival of each new century. While it is valuable to look to the future, 
it is equally important to reflect upon the past, since our modern culture is the sum total of all that has come before. Professor Ludlow, I was afraid that you may have left for the day. I was told that I might find you here. And so you did. You know, I think it a pity that we've lost touch with such simple pleasures as holding a physical book in our hand, or reading a real newspaper his ink rubs off on our fingers. Rare are these, except from such places as university presses which embrace the anachronism only as a snobby elitist exhibit to display their higher cultural ground. I tried to catch up with you after your behavioral psychology class on superstition. I was the one- Yes, I remember you. You left abruptly, and I lost track of you. I waited by your office where Dean Pelton said- Pelton's words are not renowned for their quality service, and as far as I'm aware, I'm not among your objects which you might misplace, but I digress. Do you hunt me for sport or sustenance? I'm Special Agent Nick Garrett with Federal Investigative Services. How fascinating. I'm working on an important case which has led me into some unusual territory. I understand that you wrote a book about New World mythology and dedicated a section to the paradox artifacts. That's a rather odd topic for the law to address. So you're here tagging on my whiskers over nonsense that you could have acquired by a simple internet search. What I found was too general. I presumed that you were more thorough. Oh, and I presume that you presume because you haven't bothered to read the book, yes? I haven't had the opportunity, no. I've been busy with the case. In the time it took for you to find me, you could have read the section on the artifacts several times over. The reason you found so little on the subject is there's little to be found. So what are the particulars in your case which generated interest about this nonsense? I'm sorry, Professor. I can't share the details of our investigations. What I can tell you is that part of my job is to get into the heads of people so I can understand them and deduct things from having intimacy with their perspective. Right now, I'm trying to get into the head of someone who believes in these things. You do realize that I use the paradox artifacts as an example of how people believe in the most ridiculous unfounded notions. These objects predate us on this planet, supposedly. They were here before us, and yet it would seem they're conveniently here for our discovery and use. I find that basis curious, because those who create or perpetuate myths and urban legends usually at least attempt to lay a substantiating ground wire in reality. Sure. The best way to sell a lie is to fuse it with truths. Quite right, that statement. It's only been since the turn of this century that theories have circulated about where these supposed artifacts originated from, and for what purpose. That they were artifacts left by intelligent aliens who lived on this planet before us. That they were planted by rebel factions of Edict One who have advanced far beyond what we believe. Tools of warfare and espionage hidden as part of some nefarious contingency plan. The list goes on. This eager speculation hopes to stick, of course, and lend strength to the myth. The more people they can get to share their belief in a lie, the more justified and socially comfortable they feel about their own faith. As we are social apes, this is important. I understand that. But what are the artifacts supposed to do? Oh, what else? Remedy our dissatisfaction with life. Feed our delusions that we have the potential to gain more than what life offers us. Which is of course never enough. Extend our power beyond the limits which physics and biology have so rudely imposed on we all-important masters of the universe. I wonder if you project your own jadedness on the whole of mankind so you can rationalize it or disown it. Do you indeed? It doesn't matter. Could you please tell me specifically what the artifacts do? Sit down, won't you, Agent? They each do something different. It's no different than the magical items from ancient mythologies. Each are unique, there is only one. As can be expected coming from the mind of man, many are weapons. What is the hexgate disc? What's the function Not of it? Not among the more interesting ones, but I'll play. 
It's said to be an ornate metal saucer about the size of a hubcap. It's fashioned with small levers and buttons which are used to open a gate, as its name suggests. A wormhole, presumably, through which you can summon things to do your bidding. Things? Conjurations, interdimensional creatures, demons, I suppose. For another interpretation. Uh, the legend varies, but the consensus categorizes it among the technology-based artifacts, given its appearance. This is unlike the more classical items, such as rings which can render you invisible, or uh, defy physics in various ways, such as allowing you to levitate or pass through walls. A magical hammer, as a nod to Thor, and medieval armor with unearthly protection. The legend of a talking demon head was thrown in for good measure along the way by someone with a sense of humor. It sounds like fancy role-playing. In more ways than one, Mr. Garrett, but then we have others with more contemporary sensibilities, such as a gun with endless ammunition, or which fall under technological fantasy, including a briefcase gravity bomb, a device which slows a stop time, a portable teleportation device... Professor, hold on. Did you say briefcase somewhere in there? Oh, yes. Another classic cliché, this time of the spy thriller persuasion. A bomb and a briefcase with which to conduct serious business. Interesting. But how can you use something like that more than once? I'm afraid I don't follow, Mr. Garrett. If the artifact is unique and that's one of them, you could only use once. It doesn't fit with the others. Oh dear. I think you've fallen a bit too far into that head you were trying to open up. I get the impression that you're trying to make sense of this outside of a hypothetical context. Well, it doesn't make sense. I believe that's just the point of the Paradox Artifacts. Boone Street. Center City. Time, 5.11pm. Excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you. Sir, do you have some spare change? I'm eating days and I sure oh, sorry. appreciate it. I can't help you. I should just get in a job. I sure try hard and get a job. Oh, you know? kindly, excuse me. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, mister. You! You! Uh... Yeah, you with a flash of coat and dumbass look in your eyes. Come on over here if you want something to eat. I can't stand watching your punk ass trying to beg no more. You in a damn embarrassment. I don't want trouble. You in a world of trouble already? If all you're gonna do is stand there looking like some sad slice of day old bread thinking somebody's gonna take pity on them damn puppy eyes. Those folks don't care about your sorry ass. You want some help? You better help yourself by scooting on over here. But I don't care about your ass, neither. Well, I don't know. Well, suit yourself. I'm going right now. You want to look at get holes in the mouth? Here I go. Go and go going. Bye. So you wise up, huh? What you all looking all scared about? I ain't going to hurt you. Come on back this way, where I got a tent and something to eat. Tent, huh? Okay, thanks. Thanks. I've been watching you, son. Damn, the thing is, I got the feeling you've been on the downside of life for a while now, but hell, even eating one don't know how you survive like that, punk. Them people ain't got nothing you can count on. Only things they got in their heart is their french fries, cappuccinos, and blogs. They can spoo all that donkey on like they know something about life, and they don't shelter like babies in their mama's arms. Only thing you can count on with those people is they are wasteful as all hell. And if you want to tap into that, you gotta know where to shop. Today, I got some of the good stuff in my tent. Whoa, hey, it's okay. That's my friend. That's Trevor. Trevor, it's okay. This guy's okay. He, what's your name? Steven. Trevor, this is Steven. 
Steven, this is Trevor. Hello. That's good. That's good. And I'm stay. Try to keep some sunshine in your voice around here. Just a little sunshine. Oh, he gets upset. Yeah, yeah, we got some of the good stuff left. There's a grocery store two blocks down the way here. They throw all kinds of good things away. Cans of food there ain't a thing wrong with it, except some dents or rip wrappers. It's gotta be all pretty for those other folks. Let's see. We got some beans here. Some carrots and soup. What you want? It's all good. Now come on, Stevie. It ain't often you get to choose your meal on the street. Live a little. Tell me what you want, and it's yours. Beans. Yeah, I like the beans too. Trevor, why don't you open that up for Steven? I take care of Trevor. He got no one else, so he stays with me. I'd offer you a place to sleep, but there ain't much more room in this little tent. It's a little tent, but it's my tent. My place. That's something. Hey, you got a place? Lost it. And the cops came in. All my stuff. You know. Yes, I do know. People don't want to see us. They don't want to think about us. They want to pretend we ain't here. Somebody... Someone told me that so crates as a place where, you know, let me sleep. So crates? So crates. You mean Socrates? Damn, that man ain't got nothing for you or anybody else but a whole lot of crazy. Whoever told you that must not take to you much because they'd have you sleeping in that damn sewer like a rat. Sleeps in the sewer? I don't want to sleep in the sewer. Those places down under Fifth Street are dangerous. A lot of trouble down there. I know people who go down there and they ain't never come out. I'd stay awake. Steven, I'd ask you if you want to sit down and eat with her. But you certainly got a look that don't happen around here often. The look of having some place to be. You can take the beans, if you want. Go ahead. And good luck to you. No. I want to sit and eat with you. I've got no place to be. My legs are tired. Can I? Is that okay now? Steven, that's just fine. Heartland Hill Sanitarium. Administration Building. North Irving, Mainland. Time, 5.47 p.m. I understand that the warden is embarrassed by the escape that took place here. Nonetheless, I need to see the records of the escape. Of course. I would apologize for all the hoops you've had to jump through, Agent Kircher. Harlan Hill takes the confidentiality of its patients very seriously. We simply don't Then divulge. don't apologize. It's not necessary. I understand your protocol. Just take me to the records covered by the warrant. I believe the scope of it is very clear. I really don't have time to play nice, oh, Dr. Sidera. Oh, my. I see. You'll find everything you need right in here. I'll get you all set up in here. You can browse our records to your heart's content. Take all the time you it need. It shouldn't take long. All I need is a port for my drive, and I'll take it with me. I guarantee the information will be secure. Oh, excuse me. I hate to bother you, Agent. But we don't allow the Kircher. use of cell phones at the corner of this building. I'll give you a number where you can file a complaint with the FIS. Remind me before I leave. I spent the day in South Island getting a handle on the Paradox artifacts. You thought that was the best way to spend your time? One of those artifacts is a briefcase bomb. I think I see where you're going. 
I hope you're not about to say that you believe these artifacts are real. No, I think Mr. Cook may have been trying to emulate it. For whatever reason, it may be where he got the idea. We already know he's familiar with the legend because that's what he used to get to Tonell. What's so magical or even novel about a briefcase bomb? Conceptually nothing, but there's definitely something novel about the bomb he used at the nightclub. By the way, where are you? I'm at the Harlan Hill Sanitarium. Mm. I'm told that I have that effect on people. Ha ha. Is A.G. Briggs with you? He's still out in the field. He's been out there all day. His next check-in should be at 7. Has he uncovered anything? Not yet that I know of, but I have. Socrates has a companion who goes around with him everywhere. His name is Donald Jenkins, a schizophrenic who escaped here with four others. I'm guessing that... Will you look at that? I can't look over the phone unless you give me a video feed or transfer the files. I just found Cook. He was one of them, patient 2871. Does the number have a name? He was a John Doe. He couldn't be identified. How do you know it's Cook? This is disturbing. He mutilated himself. He took out his... He took out his own eyes. He has no eyes. I, I think that's a fairly good distinguishing feature, don't you? Interesting. Look at the other patients who escaped and you should find Socrates. God, if he's the one who killed five people, I hope Agent Briggs doesn't find him without backup. Service Tunnel, Grip. Section 5B, Center City Underground. Time, 7 o'clock p.m. like dead ass down here. What? Oh, it's a good day. Oh, it's a good day. It's a good day. I like the game. I like the game. What you got? What you got? What you got? Give me, give me, give me. Gotcha. 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 Ah, ah. Now would be a good time to focus. Drop the knife. It's not a good day. You're having a bad one, and it could worse in a hurry. You got that? It's a bad day. Yep. Although, it'll get better if you help me out with something. Yes, I'll get help to make it better. I'm looking for Socrates. Captain Socrates. No one does that. No one looks for the captain. No. I do. I'm on a mission, see? Cook sent me. You know Mr. Cook? He cooks. Not with the peas. He cooks with the pan. Don't eat the peas. Don't eat the He's good with the That cooking. is good. Good. Are you Jenkins? No, 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 of my sanctuary. I have no jam for your vile butternuts. Seek your fallen star immersion, only light on some foul jelly, which in shooting through the horizon has assumed for a moment an appearance of splendor. But the jelly's mine. Get thee to your own clown car condiments and make your own damn sandwich. 
You must be Socrates. Oh, you speak! But when you smell like a monkey and talk like a mime, I fear the circus has come to town. I fear the freaks who fail to freak me! Float away, you! Off with your poop to throw from some of the banana tree! I just want to talk. Oh, the talk of wanting only talks to want. The captain knows not the strange idioms of monkey fruit. Where the hell is his voice coming from? Here. <laughs> At long last. Any! No, 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 stop that! You're depriving me of my moment! Oh, all right, you ninny. F flat. <laughs> On the next episode of Edict Zero, FIS. Has Agent Briggs turned up anything? He's still out in the field. He missed his 7 o'clock check-in. <laughs> Hold your peace, young man! We have a slippery! Neurotransmitter activity consistent with trauma reaction. Please review suggests a concussion. Not good. He's in trouble. What's the situation? We don't know. But if it involves Cook, it might involve another bomb. My gaze has plopped onto his later pages. Oh, how the blood of those chapters chills my bold boys under the pelvic cavity. Oh, what recipes of doom in the cook's book. Rescue operation which has the potential for surprises. Presume the presence of hostiles around a hostage. It's one of FIS's own special agent, Marcus Briggs. We must batten down the hatches for nasty weather soldiers. We're dealing with two escaped mental patients. Negotiation is off the table as an option for resolution. FIS, get down Drop on the, the Thank you for listening to this episode of Edict Zero FIS. Music and ambience heard on the show come from Nine Inch Nails, Natalie Nicole Gilbert, How to Destroy Angels, ERH, Christian Hirsch, and Kevin McLeod. Other music and sound effects come from Public Domain Show Producer and Slipgate 9 Studio Resources, as well as material released freely on the internet through such venues as the Internet Archive. Look to the show credits on the website for more information. This show was produced by series creator Jack and Kate, James Keller, Julie Hoverson, and Jane Eastman. Associate producers C. Edward Reed and Thomas Glan. This episode is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. For more information on Edict Zero FIS, visit its home at edictzero.wordpress.com or the Slipgate 9 Entertainment Production Blog at slipgate9.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. All right, and that was part two of Edict Zero, F-I-S, found online at edictzero.wordpress.com, a terrific series, and four more episodes are up on there if you want to learn, listen more. Um, there's another one coming, episode seven, will be out in early March. Um, highly recommended series if you're into really well-produced, intriguing, um, complex science fiction, audio, drama, great stuff. Love to see these independent people. Uh, come to the scene with uh, really top-notch work. We will be continuing our Science Fiction February series next week with, well, the work's not exactly science fiction, but it's close enough for spitting distance. Um, the series is The Witch Hunter Chronicles. It's about, well, a witch hunter. Uh, things get interesting when there's a beautiful girl who happens to be a witch. It causes him to uh, think about his professional boundaries and the whole uh, nature of what he's doing. Uh, spectacularly produced, uh, terrific work, uh, really wonderful score, and uh, it's just gothic and awesome uh, coming out of Belgium and I'm hoping that this series is a sign that Belgium has a burgeoning audio drama scene we'd love to hear it 
and love to share it and look forward to sharing that work with you and um, hope you if you've not heard it already you will be in for a treat um, and in the meantime of course remember you can find over 150 hours of audio drama programming including science fiction and fantasy as well all right and that's a wrap radio drama revival is produced by your truly fred greenhalge copyright of individual shows remains that are original producers but do believe sure this show is far and widely as you'd like Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. This podcast at radiodramarevival.com is a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. 